0: Hey guys, welcome back or welcome to Bring Your Own Baggage. I'm your host Justine and I'm here to talk about mental health and body image issues on college campuses from the perspective of a college student. These struggles are much more prevalent than you'd expect and I'm here to let you know that you're not alone. All right guys, we're not gonna really have much of an intro today because I have about three hours of audio to get through. Um, So today we have seven guests joining us it's a very special episode um and i don't think i'm gonna have the advice in this episode i might just make a post about it on the byob instagram so check out at bring your own baggage on instagram if you want to see that um i also don't know how many parts this episode is going to be in right now i'm just staring at all of the audio files and haven't actually gotten into editing that so we will see so instead of another random rambly life update let's just get straight into the first guest's intro all right, guys. So we have a lot of special guests on today's episode, but for our first guest, we have Cindy Lee, who is a freshman at NYU Shanghai and she's from Virginia. Um, since she's in Shanghai, it is currently 8 a.m. here, but it is 8 p.m. there. <laughs> so Cindy, do you want to just tell us a little bit about what it's like to be to do in college in Shanghai?
1: Yeah, actually, I didn't imagine being in China my freshman year. Um, I mm-hmm. think I always thought about going maybe like junior or senior year. Mm-hmm. But then once I got into NYU Shanghai, I was like, I could try it. And it turns out that I feel like it might have been a good choice because I do know that um, most people are taking online classes in the States and mm-hmm. I have the chance to go on campus. Like I am actually in the school building right now. And so, wow.
0: Yeah.
1: and recently, like two weeks ago, we got an email saying we don't need masks anymore. So we're going to school with no masks inside the school building. And oh just like, oh, my
0: gosh. Okay, perfect. So we're just going to get into the personal experience then. Um, And so we had a bunch of submitted questions from the Google form. So the first one is, how can non-AAPI individuals avoid slacktivism and do more than reposting on their social media?
1: I think this is a really good question because I uh, I spend like half and half. I do post on social media, but not as often. Um, Mm -hmm. And so when issues come up, I do think about it I'm like do I want to post or do I want to maybe just step back and like look at the situation from like mm. an perspective
0: mm-hmm. um,
1: instead of really stepping in and being part of it because I always feel like I don't get the full picture mm-hmm. um, but for me this time I like sat back for a little bit and then I realized that This is such a big issue, especially when a lot of people who normally would stand up, um, I saw them post on social media, how they didn't want to hear about it anymore, because it was something that they felt like was depressing, since they're related to themselves. And so Mm -hmm. they didn't really want people to keep posting about it. And so they would always go on social media and see it. And at that point, I was just like, wow, this is something that we probably need to do more than really just post. And Mm -hmm. so for me, uh, I reached out well it was both ways so I posted um, my feelings and then like we just had people reaching out and I reached out to some people discussing like is there anything we can do within Shanghai at the moment because mm-hmm. I'm not in the States I don't know exactly what's going on um, and then we got in contact I think it was last week on Friday or maybe it was Thursday we talked to the dean of students here and then um uh, we're doing we're trying to host an in-person event, which mm-hmm. is gonna be like on a Saturday. So when like everybody's free and it's gonna be the whole day. We're gonna have like more educational videos, maybe show a movie and then have like an interactive activity where Um, people can share their experiences and talk about, you know, things that they've been going through and then maybe have an interactive activity where everybody, you know, gets to answer some questions and then see the differences between people. And I think talking about it is one of the biggest things because I realized that if you don't talk about certain things, you don't really know what other people think. And I think that's the biggest issue, just like assuming things about other people.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, you bring up so many good points and I think it's really amazing that you're able to get so involved in educating people all the way from Shanghai. Um, And I think the idea of starting conversations is so important because it's great if you're able to spread awareness on social media by reposting stuff to your story. But if you're not having these conversations with people in your life that you've seen carry out microaggressions to Asian people or just straight out racism, if you're not having those conversations, if you're not talking to Asian people about their experience, then you're not really educating yourself and, it feels like when you just post on social media, it feels really like performative activism. Um, And I think something that's super important that people have done for me at least is like reaching out to me and being like, (laughs) I'm like sounding like so self-centered. I'm like, the most important thing is to reach out to me personally. (laughs) No, but like when um, people like reach out or they're just like, I'm here, like if you want to talk, like I'm here to support you. I feel like that just like makes like all the difference and doing that, Like having these one-on-one like conversations that no one on social media sees, like it's just between you and the person you're talking to, I feel like is really impactful. I'm just curious though, what is it like being in Shanghai and seeing all of this happening in the U.S.? Yeah, so
1: when I was meeting with the people we like, (laughs) he asked us, he was like, so how does it feel? Like it was pretty much the exact same question. Mm -hmm. Um, And I realized that like all of our answers were something along the lines of being disconnected because here I I guess I do get certain forms of you know discrimination because sometimes like the way I dress is overly American that might show more skin than (laughs) an Asian person (laughs) Uh, so because of that like people in the metro stare at you or just like maybe when you're speaking English they look at you they're like or like if you're walking with somebody that's not Asian (laughs) they Mm -hmm. look at you yeah but in terms of being singled out for being Asian or like there's certain slurs that you would get um, for being Asian. I haven't experienced that. And so Mm. that suddenly just made me realize that like, Oh, I'm not in the States anymore. Like, Mm -hmm. I I don't want to say this is a place where I belong because I still, I still feel out of place. But in terms of being discriminated because I'm Asian, that hasn't been very obvious, especially if I'm alone and I'm walking um, on the streets. So Mm -hmm. with that, I think it just makes me wonder, like, why was this a thing in the States? (laughs) Like, I didn't realize it was wrong. Like, for me, I think I just got used to it. I was like, oh, I I walk around and people stare. Like, I walk around and people judge. And I'm okay with that. But in reality, I shouldn't be.
0: Mm -hmm. Exactly. That brings up so many good points again. And I feel like ever since COVID started, I've just been more aware of Like stairs and stuff that I get in public, like whenever I'll go grocery shopping or stuff, like I am feel like I'm very aware of like people looking at me and I was like scared to go out in public at the beginning of COVID um, when like not the peak of the racism, but like when a lot of that was like bubbling up. Um, and I was like, I cannot cough, sneeze, breathe, do anything. <laughs>
1: I absolutely agree with that. Uh, I've got a lot of questions. So I'm bilingual because I speak both English and Chinese completely fluently. And so we're mm-hmm. like, where did you learn your Chinese? Like most uh, American born Chinese people don't really speak the language well. And I'm like, that's a great question. And then I was thinking back and I'm like, I actually, if I were to go outside, I would 100% speak English, but that's not because uh, I'm in America, but that's because ever since COVID happened, if I was in public, I would be pretty scared to speak Chinese because I Mm -hmm. knew that they would look at me and be like, you're Asian. And so I made an effort to speak in English. Um, Just, I don't want to say it to prove that I'm American, Mm -hmm. um, but that's really what I was thinking in my head. I was like, I don't want them to think that I'm Asian because some of the things will probably
0: happen yeah yeah exactly and I feel like we've just tried to like hide our Asian-ness by like fitting into white America like by doing that as much as possible um and by just like basically like if you're invisible then no one can like be racist towards you and it's like so sad but it's like kind of like what we've done to like just like cope with all of this All right, Cindy, thank you so much for coming on. It was so nice to meet you.
1: So glad uh, we're actually doing this. I feel like it's nice to get our thoughts out there for once. Mm always been like trying to maybe just like talk to some closer people but it's never been anything more than that so I'm really Mm -hmm. grateful thank you for having me
0: oh my gosh yeah thank you so much all right so our next guest is Grace Kim she's a UVA grad majoring or not majoring she graduated (laughs) she's a UVA grad who majored in foreign affairs and she's now working at a DC law firm and fun fact is she just got a puppy he is adorable Um, I already love him even though I haven't met him
2: thanks for having me Justine Oh my gosh, this podcast. I love like what you call your listeners. <laughs> so you today? <laughs>
3: so
2: yeah, I'm really happy to be here um, and to talk about this topic that is, yeah, uh, it's a lot. It's not just things we've been thinking about the last couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. like our entire
0: lives so yeah no this is not new but it's the first time we're getting to talk about it or comfortable talking about it so the first question is how did your family view mental health
2: well my family it was basically a non-existent thing Mm -hmm. in my family and I know that's a common um, thing that a lot of people would say um, in the Asian American community Mm
4: -hmm.
2: Um, it's just it's it's like it wasn't there. We just ignored it. And if anything was hard, I was kind of told it is what it is. Um, and to study more. Yeah, <laughs> um, and yeah. my mom, I'm sure she she would be fine with me sharing this because she she would still stand by it. Um, but if <laughs> I shared with her and confided in her about something that was hard, she would probably say, pray to Jesus <laughs>
3: mm-hmm.
2: just have a blanket statement and I love Jesus and I believe like he's such an important part of this process and mm-hmm. walking through this process with me um, but it's you know it takes work to kind of work through it and mm-hmm. um, it's not just a simple like pray about it or you'll be fine and so I've spent some time thinking about why um, specifically like the topics of anxiety and depression aren't talked about Um, And I think it stems from a lot of shame and some pride in the um, Korean community, especially. Um, And I've had to unlearn this idea that it's not shameful or embarrassing or weak to need counseling, medication, um, therapy, or just emotional support during hard times in our lives. Mm
1: -hmm. Um, And obviously
2: it's going to be different for everyone, but the goal is to thrive in our lives, not just to survive. And it takes work to get there. So um, I, while my family didn't talk about it all, all of my life, I've tried to bring that up with my parents um, and to talk about it openly. And they've been they've received it really well. It's just that um, sometimes we might have to initiate the conversation. But I'm here to say to anyone who whose family hasn't talked about it ever, it's normal and it's human to need help mm-hmm. um, and to struggle because life is hard. It's not your fault um, that, you know, your brain thinks a certain way or, um, bad things happened to you. And, Mm -hmm. um, it's okay to be open about that, to walk with other people through that. And Mm -hmm. I know for myself and my, all the anxieties that I've faced and the way that my brain operates and the way that I get anxious about things, um, it's been so helpful to be vulnerable, um, and to no longer struggle in private. To hold on to your pride and um, just at the cost of your mental health and well-being, it's not worth it.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, yeah, so I'm really hopeful that our generation will be the first to have these conversations in our families. Um, our parents didn't have the same resources that we did, so I'm not upset with my parents or my family for not talking about it. I think it mm-hmm. it makes sense considering it's a gen- different generation, um, and so. We're going to, I think it's going to be on us to be the first to talk about it and that's okay.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. And I feel like you bring up a really good point of just having to give grace to our parents because again, like they didn't grow up with mental health resources. They didn't grow up knowing that it was okay to express anxieties, depression, all of that stuff. And I think now, again, like what you said, it's so important that we're able to be there for our parents to educate them on this and show them that, you know, it's okay for them to struggle too. Like it's okay for, it's normal for us to struggle, but it's normal for them to struggle as well. Um, and it's okay for them to get, to seek out the resources for that. Like if my parents started to going to therapy, um, that'd be amazing, but it's really hard growing up, not having any conversations about mental health. And the first time I actually had a panic attack, I thought it was an asthma attack because I didn't even know what a panic attack was. Um, and so, I don't remember if I told the story. I think I did. But like when I was in my AP lane class, I just couldn't breathe all of a sudden and I was mm-hmm. taking my inhaler and my inhaler wasn't working. I was like, something's wrong with me. I'm literally going to die. Cause I cannot breathe. And then I went to the doctor and she was okay. like, Oh, you had a panic attack. <laughs> Your okay. oxygen levels are fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the next question is what unique struggles do you face as an Asian American woman? Oh man. <laughs> <bad for> <laughs> um,
2: this might be something that women in general feel, um, mm-hmm. And it would be breaking the glass ceiling. Like that's mm-hmm. been the story of my life. Um, quick story, just to illustrate something that's happened recently and something that got me thinking about this. Mm-hmm. Um, I was at, so some context, I'm in a relationship with a white guy, um, a man, a young man. Jonathan, <laughs> 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 awesome. Um, and it's been really cool and a big blessing to date someone of a different race because of how eye-opening it is um, and we get to share and process things that happen in a safe space Um, but we were at glory days um, recently with my brother and we were watching the UBA game and this really kind white couple um, they approached me and Jonathan and my brother um, and they started uh, giving Jonathan specifically a lot of like career advice um, telling him he had great teeth like the, the wife was like, you have great teeth, you know, it's really Ooh. cute. Yeah, um, yeah. He looked like a fine young man and all these awesome things. And I was sitting there awkwardly trying to like enter the conversation. <laughs> um, like I was nodding my head a lot and like mm-hmm. trying to, get to ask me questions too. Like mm-hmm. yeah, I graduated in May as well, you know, from the same school. Um, and I just thinking back on that, I, I found that to be really representative of my experience growing up here. Um, I, I hope this isn't too big of a jump, but I I share that story to show that I don't have the same privilege as a lot of my white peers um, mm-hmm. of having older couples, wise mentors um, who will recognize, maybe see their grandchildren or their children in me. So because I just look so different from them, and so mm-hmm. what ends up happening is the connections that we have, the experiences, the advice that we'll get. Um, and the, even the expectations that people have for me end up drastically different. Um, Mm -hmm. and it's, you know, all those things are a lot less for me than a white person like Jonathan. Mm -hmm. Um, and to give some more insight into this, um, like in law, I work at a DC law firm and the reality is there aren't that many Asian lawyers or partners at the firm. And so you know, even if this is a career path that I want to go into, I don't know how far I can, you know, how high I can rein, um, mm-hmm. how far I can reach because I, I don't have a lot of people that have gone before me. And mm-hmm. so the reality is for me as an Asian American woman um, is that I might have to be the first and mm-hmm. I have to carve my own path. I don't have as big of a support system. Um, and that's been pretty hard for me to wrap my head around.
0: Yeah, and that's a lot of pressure to kind of realize that you have to be a self starter, and you have to you feel like you have to do everything by yourself. Yeah. But with that, I feel like also it's the the whole idea of the model minority myth comes into play as well, where yeah. people just assume that all Asian people are smart, all Asian people are going to be successful, so we don't need help or anything like we can just figure it out ourselves. And that's so damaging because one, that's not true. Like that's yeah, not true. We still need help just as much as you know a white student does.
2: And if anything, we're working so hard because we have nothing to fall back on. Like we don't mm-hmm. have a choice, and so yeah. there's no room to mess up. Like you, you don't have um, that cushion below you, mm-hmm. um, and so it's been really crazy um, to to have this like have the hard work that we've been required to do be used against us. Because I'm like, mm-hmm. can't win in this situation. Yeah,
0: and you have that, but you also have like the pressure of your family. Um because because of the bottom minority myth, like Asian families are not all Asian families, but a lot of Asian families are like have very high expectations, what they want their kids to achieve. All right. So the next question is what are common microaggressions you encounter and how do these affect your mental health?
2: The first thing that came to mind is how I feel invisible a lot in group settings, um, with peers who look different from me. Um I sometimes feel like people don't see me and it's easy for them to just overlook my presence. Um and I'm a loud person. Like I try to make my presence known. Um and maybe that's because I've had to fight for it all my life. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um but I can tell right away if someone's uncomfortable with my presence, um if they haven't been around another Asian person before or if they mm-hmm. just don't care that I'm there at all.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. Um and because they don't really look at me, um, even when I'm making eye contact. Mm
3: -hmm. Um,
2: and I feel exhausted over this. Like I can't join a group project or like, um, just a group setting, like a social setting for the first time without feeling nervous. That's another person will treat me that way. Um, I wish like we didn't, we had the option to be like quiet people. If we wanted to be like, if we were tired that day, you know, of Mm -hmm. the group project, it's like, I wish we could just be tired in peace. (laughs) Exactly. Um, Not have
0: people think, oh, just the quiet Asian person over there can't speak. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for sharing. I really appreciate it.
2: Yeah, it's nerve-wracking because this topic, like, I mean, even you and I, Justine, like we grew up in the same area, but our experiences are completely different. Mm -hmm. And so it's like it's scary to talk about something. Um, in case it doesn't represent, you know, someone else's Mm -hmm. experience and you don't want people to be like, that wasn't my experience. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) Um, I know. Everyone's experience is unique though
0: and that's like what's important that we're able to share all those different experiences.
2: Exactly. Mm -hmm. Thank you for creating the space. What you're doing is so amazing. Each of these podcast episodes are so special and they're topics that we don't normally talk about with friends and so Mm -hmm. thank you for The time and effort that you put in to these podcasts, I know people are moved by them, and for me to even be able to participate in one has meant so much. So, thanks, Justine.
0: Oh, thank you! I'm so glad that you were able to come on. I miss you.
2: I know I miss you too. Come back and we can get coffee in our hometown.
0: All right, guys. So our next guest is Mavis Manaloto. Mavis is a junior majoring in public relations and has a minor in arts leadership at Boston University. She's originally <laughs> she's originally from Nova. And fun fact is that we live literally 30 seconds away from each other. <laughs> neighborhood. Um, and she's passionate about diverse and inclusive storytelling and has a super cute new haircut. That's not something that she put in here, but I'm just saying it looks so cute. I love it. Oh,
4: thank you. Thank you for
0: having me. Oh my goodness. Thanks for coming on. So good to see you. Um, so I'll just jump right into it. So, what unique struggles do you face as an Asian American woman?
4: Yeah. Thank you for asking this question. It's, um, -hmm. and for like acknowledging that, um, the experiences that we face as Asian American women is, you know, different from like other women, maybe like white women or, Mm -hmm. um, women of other races. Um, so before I start off, um, it's, important to recognize that the theory of intersectionality was founded uh, by Dr. Kimberly Crenshaw. Uh, She's a black woman and we owe so much to black radical feminist thought leaders and activists (laughs) Mm -hmm. for giving us the language to name how these oppressive, you know, white supremacist systems affect us. Um, And so, you know, some of the things that I name might uh, resonate with other uh, women of color um, who might be listening to this. Um, So when thinking about this piece, it was really, or this question, it was really hard to like formulate like thoughts initially about it because mm-hmm. um it is like it is a, a really complex, um, unique experience. Um, and I read this um quote uh, from this piece um called The Atlanta Shooting and the De- Dehumanizing of Asian Women um mm-hmm. by Jia Young Fan. Um I don't know if you wanna leave this article in the podcast notes or something yeah definitely um but it says that uh, misogyny and racism have never lived neatly in their separate categories they ravage by mutually reinforcing a narrative of the dehumanized other the bodies of asian women in particular have long been objective and abhorred fetishized and exoticized Mm. so already living as a woman in you know this Patriarchal, male-dominated society. There's so many things to worry about on the daily, namely things of safety, such as like you know being hyper vigilant around men. You know mm-hmm. we can't even like walk around um, alone at night. Um, you know, simple objectification of women's bodies, mm-hmm. and we're literally like at the hands of men who weaponize their masculinity towards us almost every single day. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we unfortunately saw this in Atlanta um, last week. Um, where the victims were at the hands of someone who you know they claimed like had a sex addiction addiction and like could not control himself Mm -hmm. um it just shows like how literally unsafe we are it's you know unfair that you know we're at the hands of someone who had who's like weaponizing this power over us Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. and i should mention that even if the women weren't sex workers they were murdered for being perceived as such Mm -hmm. um and so that's you know that's just really hard um news to process um -hmm. and you know to add on to the experiences of being you know a woman who's like who can be like objectified and like you know all that um when you add on being Asian American you add on this component of being like exoticized and fetishized um Mm -hmm. you know which I personally experienced by like whenever like you know somebody shows like interest in me like romantic interest I always wonder if they like me for me or if it's like this exoticized Mm, mm -hmm. objectified (laughs) version of me or like this idea of me you know like whatever like it's just like it's important to note that you know these like ideas are like rooted in a history of like imperialism white supremacy and capitalism um for example there's literally a book um, Um, called um, do the Philippines how to make love with Filipino girls in the Philippines by this white man it's so disgusting it's literally like a guidebook on like how to participate in like sex tourism in like this like exploited country and this is something that I think like Korean women and like Vietnamese women like also experience it's Mm -hmm. yeah so that is hey disgusting. don't do that yeah. <laughs> That's really gross. Uh, I feel like that should be uh, common sense sad that we have to say that <laughs> no literally um and I think that like yeah that kind of like leads into like experiences with dating white men um so. let's get into it <laughs> whenever you date like someone of you know a different race or specifically like you know um white people you always have to like, wonder like oh like Am I dating the oppressor or like mm. the colonizer? <laughs> and this isn't like a burden that like, you know, white women have to carry mm-hmm. or just mm-hmm. it's so. So, you know, I'm sure like other women of color, that's probably something that they they've experienced. Um, You know, this like issue of fetishization, like I mentioned, you know, mm-hmm. I remember in high school people always saying like, oh, they have like yellow fever or whatever mm-hmm. if they were like dating you. Yeah. um. And, like, I've also heard, like, other Asian women who have been, like, yeah, I've had to, like, you know, kind of, like, stalk my partner to make sure, like, to see, like, who they've dated in the past. Yes. <laughs> like, <laughs> to see if they have, like, a history of, like, dating, like, Asian people. Yes! It's... Oh, my
0: God. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
4: So, um, you know, um, that being said, like, after, like, the attacks last week and, like, even, like, before then, like this is just me, but every time a white person liked to be on a dating app, I always felt like a little bit, like, of, you know, there's always that mm-hmm. question that pops up up here, just because, you know, when you when you make, like, a dating app profile, it's mainly just, like, your pictures, so you're mm-hmm. just, like, ah! Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Especially if they mention that they, like, in their bio. Yeah! Oh, Lord! <laughs> it's, like, really, like, dehumanizing, because then it, like, reduces, like, us to just our race, it's, like, you know, um, which, like, you know, brings me to another kind of like thing it's like when um people ask so where are you from or like I love learning about new cultures Mm -hmm. like you know I'll gladly talk about my Filipino heritage like I love Mm -hmm. like I'm it's a core part of who I am Mm -hmm. Uh, um it's like part of my identity but like let me be the one to bring it up because Mm -hmm. like when you bring it up it just seems like that's all you want to like like you know dating like an asian woman is like you mm-hmm. know some checkbox that you have
0: exactly mm-hmm.
4: um so um this is just like a, a little small anecdote but like one time i was told that like the other person liked the color of my skin because it wasn't too dark and it wasn't too light um <laughs> <laughs> um
0: I'd be like I don't I'm like don't support like physical violence uh, but like if you were to punch them in the face like I I would be like oh I didn't see anything I don't know what just happened you know you know that is so aside. yeah I'm like, in their right mind would think that that's an okay thing to say <laughs> that
4: yeah that again like goes into like a whole like discussion about just like colorism and yeah. just like you mm-hmm. know all all of that but Mm -hmm. you know it's not long story short not easy out here being an Asian American woman you know um Mm -hmm. I've like to like I guess to like close this off like I I've also like noticed that like um you know because you have this like like you know all the common like stereotypes of like being a woman and all the messages that you get from like being Asian American um Mm -hmm. I've noticed that I've like had to like throughout the years, I've, like, made myself small, and I've not, like, allowed myself to take up space, Um, you know, in classrooms and, like, other environments, uh, you know, I sometimes especially notice this around white folks, which, Mm -hmm. like, um, and it's, like, you know, it was hard to be, like, selfish as like women and like as Asian Americans like you're always like you know being selfless and like there's this culture of like always like giving so it's hard to just to like circle back to mental health um it was hard to like acknowledge and like honor my feelings and maybe like be a little bit selfish and like give myself like space to like go to therapy I want to like take a second to like acknowledge and validate everything that you know trauma survivors Asian women um Women of color are feeling right now whether that's like hurt pain sadness anger confusion like mm-hmm. anything that you might be feeling right now um mm-hmm. it's all perfectly normal mm-hmm. and perfectly valid
0: yeah and just going off of your last point like it's so important to like take space right now and not feel like you have to educate everyone around you and like immediately jump into activism like give yourself time to heal time to like process like what you're going through um, and what's happening in the world right now. But just going backwards, I had so much I wanted to say when you were talking, but I didn't want to interrupt you. But literally oh, no. everything you said hit the nail on the head so perfectly. And I feel like <laughs> oh God, I don't even know where to begin. <laughs> I know it's a lot. It's, it's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> it is a lot. And yeah, I've talked about this in other episodes before, but there's always a fear for me that I don't know if it's because I just like have like a really negative self view and again like I think that I'm less attractive than white people and or I'm less attractive than this girl because I'm Asian and she's not Mm -hmm. or something like that Mm -hmm. but because of that whenever a guy's interested in me I'm like is it because he has a fetish like is it because he has yellow fever like is it Mm -hmm. because like there's no way that he would just be attracted to me for me. Like what? Like he must like have something like for Asian people or something like that. And it's sad that we've like, like these Eurocentric standards of beauty have kind of taught us to look at ourselves as below other people because of our race, because of our ethnicity. And that's so funny about what your friend was saying because I do the exact same thing. Like whenever (laughs) I start talking to someone, I'm like, hey, like what's your Instagram? And then I'm like, does (laughs) he have any pictures of Asian girls? (laughs) Literally. Oh, oh my God. gosh. I remember there's this one guy I was talking to and we were I was like talking about racism towards Asian women and stuff and like the fear of like yellow fever and stuff. And he was like, oh yeah, like, you know, I've only dated Asian girls, but like that's because the college I go to is like primarily Asian. And I'm like, I know the college you go to is not primarily asian. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> I'm like, miss girl, I know that for a fact. <laughs> um, and so just like stuff like that. And then again, like with the whole online dating thing, I know so many people who have met their boyfriends and girlfriends on Bumble, Tinder, Hinge, whatever. But I just think for like me personally, like what I've seen, like online dating is just scary because again, they're just like judging you off of your appearance and when asian appearance is so fetishized, it's really hard to think that someone actually likes you for you. And this might just be an insecure person kind of thing, but I feel like also like racism I'm- has a point yeah. in that too. <laughs>
4: yeah, no, I'm right there with you, especially like as somebody like, you know, who isn't who doesn't like look East Asian, but mm-hmm. looks like quote unquote some type of Asian. Like <laughs> you're like people are gonna ask like and Mm -hmm. like I said you know I'll I'll talk about it but like let me be the one to bring it up like
0: yeah also the question of where are you from that always drives me crazy I used to like try to like make the other people the other person comfortable and be like oh like do you mean like where I grew up or like where my parents are from but now I'm just like I'm from Fairfax and if they're like but where are you really from I'm like well my mom was born in New York (laughs) (laughs) I'm like I don't know (laughs) what like (laughs) If you want to ask me, like, what my ethnicity is, please don't. Yeah. <laughs> That's, like, again, like, what you're saying about, like, what you're talking about. Like, I'm completely comfortable talking about that, but not with a random stranger that I'm checking out at Dick's Sporting Goods. Like, when we're, this is not, like, checking out, like, kind of talk. Like, the amount of people, like, when I worked at Dick's who were, like – where are you like really from? I'm like, miss girl, just let me scan your sports bra and go. Okay. I'm not getting into that conversation right now. (laughs) Yeah. No, Again, we're not saying, we're not saying that we don't want to educate people about the Asian experience, but there's a very fine line between and like when it's appropriate to ask someone that.
4: Just real quick though. I remember somebody like asking me like, so where are you from? I like ghosted them because I was like, I'm not dealing with this today. (laughs) And then like, I just like forgot about it. And like a while later they were like, Hey, did I do something? And I was like, yo, take the hinge. Like, like,
0: just leave. Just you, like, leave, please. You failed, you failed <laughs> the test, bro. You failed like. the test. <laughs> You're gone. You're off the roster. I know. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, my gosh. All right. So just kind of going off of that, what are common microaggressions you encounter and how do these affect your mental health?
4: Another really great question.
0: The thing about
4: microaggressions is that you know the simple fact that they're labeled micro I don't know it's almost like a microaggression in itself because like they do like have a huge impact on like you how you view yourself and your mental health um Mm -hmm. so personally like um I've been fortunate to not experience like that many microaggressions um I mean, maybe that's just my brain choosing to forget all of those, <laughs> like, moments. Um, you know, we've we talked about, you know, obviously asking about where you're from where you're and from. all mm-hmm. that stuff. Um, one story I will bring up is that um, I was uh, helping out at an event at BU and a parent came up to me and spoke ver- English very slowly to me and at first I didn't register what was happening but then I realized later that she didn't think that English was my first language or that oh like I might like be from like not America yeah. <laughs> and so like
0: an international student maybe
4: yeah no for real I so and so that's like the thing is that like you don't realize like that it's happening. sometimes you don't realize like what's happening in the moment and it doesn't take until like you know maybe an hour, maybe a day later. And you were just like, wait, that was definitely really weird. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, that just happened to me. Um, yeah. 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 <laughs> it's because, and I think it's because, you know, sometimes we don't want to admit that these things are happening. Like mm-hmm. we don't want to, we don't want to admit to ourselves that what we're experiencing in the moment is racism or that mm-hmm. we're experiencing like microaggressions because obviously yeah. no one wants to experience that. So, mm-hmm. you know, the brain kind of, tricks itself into being like nothing mm, yeah. happen. you're safe mm-hmm. nothing weird happened another thing too um i don't know everything there is to know about asia and asian cultures mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> asia is not a monolith like there is so much diversity within the term um asian-american um and so like personally for me like expecting me to know everything about asia almost mm-hmm. makes me feel bad about like my Asianness because it's like yeah. you know kind of like if I don't know all these things like oh my gosh am I Asian enough and it also yeah. like at the same time it like erases like my like Filipino identity and like also the identity of other people within like you know the broad umbrella that is of Asia because you're just reducing us to this like one like one idea of Asia that doesn't fully represent you know mm-hmm. every individual beautiful like culture um an aspect, um, I yeah, I'll say like the biggest thing that is that we're just like told to like brush these things off, like mm-hmm. to like ignore our feelings and like being told like you know, like I said mentioned earlier, because they were like labeled as micro, like mm-hmm. that these things like aren't a big deal. Um, mm-hmm. But they like build up over time. Um, we because like it sends this message to us that we'll always be like othered. Like, Mm -hmm. that will always be, like, different. Um, Yeah. the idea of the perpetual foreigner. um, That, Mm -hmm. like, no matter how, like, you know, which could be, like, a whole other conversation, but just, like, um, you know, how different you are from, like, the white norm will always be, like, you know, pointed out by other Mm -hmm. people. And it's, like, Mm -hmm. we can't just, like, um, exist, like, as we want to. We're, Mm -hmm. like, how we're, like... How we're perceived like we're always going to be like identified by like you know other factors where it's always like our perceptions always like at the hand of like mm-hmm. um other people so mm-hmm. um yeah I I think yeah. that like ties into just like being in in like you know a society where whiteness is the norm you
0: know? exactly <laughs> what you're talking about how about how microaggressions aren't micro is such a good point to make because I'm in a class about the psychology of trauma right now. And you're just talking about allostatic load. And that's basically like wear and tear due to microaggressions and that can lead to trauma. So microaggressions, they add up over time. And like, if you think about the amount of microaggressions that people of color receive every day, like in school, like in the grocery, like at a Dick's sporting goods, like (laughs) it's everywhere. And it's like, so, so harmful. And I was just talking about in my last interview, Um, I like I'm not very well versed in Korean culture and like I don't even speak Korean and I feel like a common like microaggression I get is from people who are like once they ask me where I'm from all that stuff and I finally get to Korea I'm Korean they're like oh like I've like been learning Korean or blah 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 like can you teach me how to say this in Korean or blah 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 and like always comes down to like the language and I have to be like oh like I actually don't speak Korean and they're like what how do you not speak Korean like if you are Korean and blah 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 and I'm like so, like, where are you from? Like, if you're a mix of, like, German, Italian, French, do you know how to speak all of those languages? Probably? Like, why are people of color? It's always expected that we know everything about our culture. And, like, we're super well-versed in that when that's not expected of white people. And white people have been trying to erase that. Like, they don't want us to have that culture. Like, they want us to mm-hmm. be assimilated into the U.S. So there's just, like, a double standard with that. And mm-hmm. it drives me insane. And I do wish I knew how to speak Korean, but... I don't wish I knew how to speak Korean so I could teach this random person how to say thank you (laughs) (laughs) like whatever phrase they want to learn
4: no yeah snaps to that it's always like it's almost like we're always like being put to like the benefit of like white people if they Mm -hmm. want us to be like you know if they want us to be this model minority then like that's Mm -hmm. how we'll be but also then in the case of like when they need like a scapegoat for example Mm -hmm. with like covid they're gonna mm-hmm. be like oh it was them and start pointing fingers yeah so it's mm-hmm. like you know it's the situation where we're oh, we're always being controlled by this white narrative and mm-hmm. we can we can never win yeah so exactly. <laughs>
0: yeah so do you want to go into the minor model model minority myth right now and how that impacted your mental health so just to start um
4: the model minority myth um you know it characterizes like asian americans as like this you know polite law-abiding group um mm-hmm. who's really successful you know they have like talent and they have you know just so much like hard work and they can overcome anything um you know where like you know they're really smart or they're they're just like excel in like stem and you know all of this, all of these like stereotypes, um, and like we mentioned, um, this like stero- this like model minority myth um, was created by white people, kind mm-hmm. of to create a divide between um, people of like oppressed racial groups. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, um, and when we have like these really high standards. Um, it can make like Asian students feel bad that they're like not smart or like when things don't come naturally to them, it like, you know, they'll feel really bad about themselves or they'll like give up really easily. Um, These like expectations like can cause like so much stress. Oh my goodness. The amount of stress that I had in high school, like all of that, it makes it harder for us to like, you know, find solidarity because of this, like um, this story that is being told over and over again um, that like, Oh, if Asians can like achieve all of this, despite their hardships, then like, why can't you person Mm -hmm. of a different race? Mm -hmm. And then when there's this idea that like, you know, Asian Americans are really, um, really successful um, and that they can overcome everything and like that they have no problems Mm -hmm. um, in terms of mental health Mm there, this then creates like a lack of like research and funding um, into like Asian Americans' uh, mental health. specifically like for the past 26 years the NIH has invested only 0.17 percent of funding altogether for clinical research for Asians, Mm. Hawaiians, and Alaskans Mm -hmm. um and this sends the message that like you know because you don't have any problems like why should we like give you funding like or Mm -hmm. why do we like need to like study you if you you know you you have no none of these problems in the first place so it just like erases like any like um like, you know, ideas of, like, mental health that, or struggles of mental health that, like, we might deal with, it makes us, like, downplay, like, our hardships and our struggles, and, like, makes us invalidate, you know, everything that we're feeling, Yeah.
0: Yeah, <laughs> that was, yeah. no, that was, that was a great, that was a great um, definition of the model minority myth and why it's harmful, and I remember the first time I learned about the model minority or what being a model minority was, was like in elementary, middle school or something like that Mm -hmm. when I was really young. And I remember at first like being proud of that. And I'm like, look, Ma, the white people accept me. Like they look to us as like being successful and blah, blah, blah. And I feel like, well, first of all, you touched on this, but it's important to note that the model minority myth was created by white America to pit Asian Americans against black Americans and say like, to the Black community, like, see, like, Asian people can do it. Like, why can't you? And I'm like, first of all, Asian people weren't stolen from their home Mm -hmm. and brought to another country and then forced into slavery. So you can't Mm -hmm. even – you can't compare our experiences like that. Mm -hmm. And also what you were talking about, about how being perceived as the smart Asian person in school is really tough and just, like, feeling so bad and embarrassed – like when I wasn't doing well in school, because I remember my soccer coach, my high, like my freshman year of soccer or whatever, he was Asian, but he was like, Justine, like you should get this drill. Like you're Asian. You're supposed to be smart. And just like having those messages, like constantly like thrown at me, like since I'm Asian, I'm supposed to be smart. Or like the only reason I'm smart is because I'm Asian. And it's just like so confusing and it's overwhelming. And it really does take a toll on your mental health and like self-esteem, um, and stuff like that, and I'm, like, I'm not smart because I'm Asian, I'm smart because I work hard.
4: Yeah, something, like, um, that you, like, brought up, too, about, um, you know, um, just to add in a little bit of history, like, when, like, immigration was, like, happening to the U.S., like, they specifically wanted, like, Asian people who could, like, who were, like, had college degrees or were who, who were coming here for college and mm-hmm. like who were really smart and like you know could contribute to like American society or like the American mm-hmm. economy so again it's literally like this idea of us being like handpicked for like you know our talents or whatever mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. and so like uh, that also like aids in like the creation of like the model minority because literally like white people handpicked like yeah. The best of the best, and like mm-hmm. you know, it's just like, yeah, like you mentioned, like versus like you know, black Americans who have like were literally like stolen from their land and forced into mm-hmm. labor here, like it's yeah, it's not the same. Um, so like, stop comparing yeah. like you know, my like minority struggles, also like aren't all the same too
0: but exactly and we're not downplaying the experience of immigration for asian families like mavis said like her parents immigrated from the philippines like my grandparents Mm -hmm. immigrated from korea and they had to go they still had to go through shit to get to where they are so we're not Mm -hmm. saying that like asian people once they immigrate like their life is so easy and immigration is so easy for asian people we're just saying you can't compare the experiences of asian immigration to slavery
4: (laughs) definitely this also like um uh, to to that point it like erases like the fact that there is like a lot of like um Asian families who are in the working class mm-hmm. um again like going back to like um you know what happened last week in Atlanta like mm-hmm. these people were like lower in like working class people um I yeah. had an, ad- another like added layer of like vulnerability um mm-hmm. that they were like unfortunately like literally murdered for it's not like, yeah. like it's um so yeah just like again within like the term asian america like it's there's so much um you know di- like mm, you know lack of a better term there was so much like diversity uh heterogeneity um within that term um so not yeah sorry to break mm-hmm. it to you but not all asians are smart stem kids <laughs> like yeah. who can just you know who achieve mm-hmm all of that
0: yeah <laughs> exactly yeah thank you so much for coming on i really appreciate it
4: yeah of course thank you for having me it's yeah. always i love talking with you and catching up with you and i know and thank you for you know starting the conversation on all of this. there's so much <laughs> that could be said um and like yeah like i said i um anything i just said i i don't represent all asian people mm-hmm. <laughs> the, yeah. the whole like asian american experience but you know yeah. hopefully this will provide some insight to people
0: yeah definitely well thank you all right guys so our next guest is jamie kong jamie's a third year majoring in psych and ysi she's also a facilitator for who's connected and the co-camp director of camp kesem at uva um in addition she has a foster puppy in the back right now who's actually blending in with the blankets it's so cute (laughs) it looks like she's in the cloud right now um but welcome jamie hi thank you for having me thanks for coming on. All right. So we're just going to jump right into the personal experience then. So what are some common microaggressions you encounter and how do these affect your mental health?
3: Um, I think that there's like a few that are like Things that I've gotten a lot, like in high school, um, there was a lot of things, you know, surrounding like grades. Like, is an A minus an Asian F? Like, is your dad mm. you forgetting? Like an Asian F, or like, aren't you supposed to be like good at math and science? Like those things, which actually, like by the way, are like not my strong subjects yeah. at all. Um, so that was like, those are definitely like minor things, but just anything that's like rooted in a stereotype is gonna be tough because it reminds you of like how you're different from your peers or, um, especially because those were subjects that I wasn't as good at. It was like a tough reminder that like, I don't know, people thought those were things that I should be good at just because of the way I looked. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there was a lot of things because I'm like half white and half Asian, I guess it's like a unique, um, experience, but people would like about my eyes, people would, some people would be like, oh, your, your eyes are like, you don't look Asian enough because you don't have like quote unquote Asian eyes, Whenever not mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or, like, I would get, like, oh, open your eyes for in photos, or, like, your eyes are too small to see, and a lot of those things are, like, phrased as jokes, so it feels like in the moment you have to, like, laugh it off, or else mm-hmm. it'll be, like, people think you're being too sensitive, yeah. um, but I think, I think the small things, like, add up over time a lot, um, and there's just small, like, comments that, like are fine in the moment but definitely like get to me in the long run even just because I have to like navigate my identity or something that that's something I'm like figuring out um mm-hmm. and these this group of boys in my high school also who were like my friends so it wasn't even like they were like trying to be like overly mean to me like started calling me Kim Jong Kang or Kim Jong they weren't even saying my last name correctly <laughs>
0: actually but, um, what
3: Yeah, so, and they were, like, oh, it's funny, like, it's, like, a nickname for you, Um, and I was, like, well, there's so many things that, like, you're not saying my name right, like, my family's from South Korea, and, like, it's kind of weird, but, like, I didn't know what to say, so a lot of Who wants their
0: nickname to be that of a dictator? (laughs) Like, why is that (laughs) that's ridiculous
3: yeah people don't I guess mean it to be offensive but I was like uncomfortable and just didn't know how to address that and mm-hmm. I think that's something that I've become a lot more comfortable with now like if my friends say something that I feel like offends me or is like a stereotype in any way I'll like definitely be more vocal about it like hey maybe you didn't mean that but like that actually hurt my feelings or that's actually like, rooted in a stereotype or a mm-hmm. bias um, whereas like at the time in high school that wasn't something I was comfortable with like
0: saying mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry that they said that to you. And it's really hard dealing with microaggressions because again, you don't want to seem like you're sensitive or you're like ruining the fun or whatever, because a lot of time microaggressions come from the amount of times like I've been microaggressed by a stranger and microaggressed by someone who like I know and I'm close with. Like It's more times someone that I know. And that's why it's hard because you're like, it's awkward to say something. And I know they mean it as a joke. So I should just laugh like everyone else. But If a person of color tells you that something's offensive, like it's offensive. It's not an issue of like, oh, they're too sensitive or blah, blah, blah. Yeah,
3: exactly. That's like exactly how I felt a lot of the time. So
0: yeah, like this episode, is it's been so fun to get to talk to people. And it's been nice to know that my experiences aren't like different and other people experience the same things I do. But I've just been getting so worked up. (laughs) I'm like, I need to wear my heart rate monitor because my heart is like beating so fast. Um, think about and like also hear about
3: especially when it's something you identify with and you've gone through Mm -hmm. because you know what it feels like to like hear those things and then it Mm -hmm. just it's upsetting obviously but yeah
0: yeah exactly and then it's also hard because there's the asian stereotype of asian women just being very like submissive and like just quiet yeah. And so when you go against that stereotype and you're like, actually, like, that wasn't cool. You speak up and stuff. People are like, what the heck? <laughs> They're like, that's not that's not right. That's not how you're supposed to be acting and stuff.
3: Exactly, so. It's like a layer of like a barrier or something to overcome. I don't
0: know. Yeah. Um, OK, so the next question is, how did the lack of Asian representation in the media affect you?
3: Yeah, this is something that my family and I talk about a lot, actually, because my parents were like really into like theater and film and stuff. So we like watched a lot of TV and movies um, and it was definitely something we like noticed and I remember like being so excited when I would see like an Asian character on a TV show especially like a Korean character Mm -hmm. or like a biracial family that was another big thing for me Mm -hmm. um and because I didn't see that a lot it kind of made me like feel like my family was like different or outside of the norm of like a typical American family Mm -hmm. um and I actually like junior year wrote my like research paper for the year about Asian representation in film and like, um, yellow face and like whitewashing, Mm -hmm. um, and things like that. And just, I feel like there's so many instances in like the history of film and TV that we don't even realize of how like stereotyped like Asian characters often are, even when they are like presented, they're just like not an accurate depiction or they fit like one box. And I just think it's like dehumanizing to see those like Mm -hmm. depictions for sure. Um, And I don't think I realized how much it impacted me until I started to finally like see more representation like in 2018 i think that's when crazy rich asians came out mm-hmm. and like my whole family went to see it and like my best friend and her family's chinese we like all went together and i remember mm-hmm. us all being like really emotional and having this moment where like this is like a huge film that has like basically all asian characters mm-hmm. that's like really popular um and trying to like articulate to each other like what that really meant to us just because like that's not something we saw a lot and it like was a big moment and it was like hard to even like articulate how it was feeling just seeing the- that. Um, And so I think that's when I started to realize how like it can really affect your like self-esteem and feelings of self-worth when you feel like people like you just like people don't want to see that on TV or it's not the norm. Mm -hmm. Uh,
0: So I think that definitely like adds up over time as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. And I feel like my self-esteem would just be so much higher if I grew up seeing Asian women as like the um, protagonists and like main characters and movies and tv shows and stuff and I wish that to all the boys I love before it came out earlier I know they really fumbled the bag in the last two movies but just the idea yeah. of having this Asian protagonist and her being like the desirable one in the movie I feel like I was like wow so like this could be me like I don't always have to be the the nerdy character in a movie and I don't want to be like the nerdy one within the group or whatever because I feel like when Asian characters are in shows it's usually because they're like the nerd yeah exactly um, it just sucks that it's so
3: it's like so limited or like there's like exactly like you're saying like it's like you're the best friend or like you're like the side character that like doesn't really get a main plot but like has the one-liners I don't know it just makes you feel like you can't be like the main character yeah. which like everyone wants so exactly
0: yeah and I just saw this post recently about how Asian women are are often fetish, fetishized, fetishized, I don't know how to pronounce that, in the media. And I didn't know most of the movies that they were referencing, but the one that I did was Mean Girls. And I didn't even think about this, but in Mean Girls, there's like only one like main Asian. So do you know how like she goes around and like says like all the Janice goes around and says like all the clicks and everything? Yeah. And like there's like the Asian click or whatever. And they're basically the only Asian characters in the movie. And the whole role of that Asian girl in the movie was hooking up with the gym teacher.
3: Yeah. I remember <laughs> that. now that you say that, actually I do remember that.
0: And so just stuff like that is just if Asian people are in movies before, like it's either as a nerd or the hypersexualized teenager. And so it's now it's great that like movies like Crazy Rich Asians and Oh, did you see that movie Raya? I haven't, but that. I
3: want I think it's on Disney
0: Plus. I need. Yeah, to yeah, but stuff like that are coming out, um, and hopefully that'll help the younger generation. Even though we're still technically kind I, of a young generation, but
3: <laughs> I think it just like further stereotypes too. When you like pigeonhole like Asian characters into mm-hmm. only one thing and then that's yeah. what like, kids are watching then they like that just reinforces the stereotypes that are already so present in our society mm-hmm. and
0: like you can't learn or grow from that at all so yeah exactly oh, one more I just remembered is like Cho Chang and Harry Potter like oh. her main role is being Harry's love interest and yeah. that's it I'm like Harry really okay and so the last question is how did the model minority myth impact your mental health
3: Um, yeah, I'm actually, like, writing a paper about this for one of my classes or about the model minority myth, and I think it just, like, views Asian Americans who, like, come from such a diverse, like, different group of backgrounds as, like, one group that is, like, quote-unquote, like, made it or, like, proved their belonging, um, and I think it's important to acknowledge that that's been used against, like, other racial groups as well to further racism, like, against Mm -hmm. specifically, like, African American communities, um, but also for Asians, I think it makes it seem like Asian Americans like don't face challenges because Mm -hmm. of their race. And it's led me to feel like insecure about talking about any of the instances of like discrimination that I've faced, Um, especially because I'm not, I'm only like half Asian as well. It just, uh, those things combined make me feel like if I'm upset about something, like it's not valid or Mm -hmm. like, I don't know. It makes me feel like to other people, like the ex- the discrimination that Asians face like isn't a big deal, um, and it like kind of like undermines the struggle that I think a lot of people mm-hmm. face, and feeling like we have to be quiet in our struggle mm-hmm. with racism just because it's not as like severe as other communities doesn't mean that it's not valid or it can't be like mm-hmm. awful as well. Um, so I think that's just been hard for me and something I have to remind myself that like it's okay for me to be upset about things that happen and it's okay for me to like call out racism when I see it. Um, even if it's I don't know it's it's hard because you don't want to be like comparing um, mm-hmm. but I think that's been the biggest thing for me for sure
0: yeah, definitely and I didn't even realize that I was doing that I was or what I was doing like all these years until I saw again this post on Instagram but it was talking about this Asian guy this Asian writer was talking about how he's been gaslighting himself for all of these years. And not talking about anything that he struggled with because he's like, oh, it's not that bad compared to other people and stuff. But like what you were saying, like we can't compare struggles. Like everyone's experience, everyone's story is unique. And if you're negatively impacted by something, you shouldn't feel bad about sharing with that, sharing that with other people. And like when I was posting that thing about needing people um, to come on for this episode and to ask questions about it, I was so anxious about it. And I had to like hype myself up for like two days, like texting people and being like, oh, I don't know if I should do this or not, blah, blah, blah. Because I was so scared that people are going to be like, this girl's too loud about something that's like not that important or she's making a big deal out of something that's not that big and stuff. And I feel like I didn't even realize how that connected to the model minority myth until you're talking about it now. But I agree that people like this myth has just silenced us from being able to talk about like what we're struggling with um because we have to fit this model
3: yeah I agree and that's part of the and I'm really glad that you're like doing this episode I think it's important to like bring awareness to that thing mm-hmm. that, like, and just a unique experience that like other people might not understand so mm-hmm.
0: yeah well thank you so much for coming on I really appreciate it
3: thank you for having me this
0: has been awesome you're so yeah. cool <laughs> oh my gosh I think you're so cool this is editing Justine coming in to say that this episode will definitely be two parts so part two will be released on Wednesday March 31st I have three more guests in that episode so make sure to BYOB on Wednesday see you guys then bye